Welcome back to Sports Crunch with D-Crom, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, David Cromwell. On this edition of the program, we are pleased to have our good friend Jake Marsing join us again for a special All Things Football discussion. Jake left Denver and the 5280 Sports Network, where he covered both the Broncos and the Nuggets uh, this past summer, for Fayetteville, Arkansas, where he currently covers Arkansas Razorback football. We plan to discuss some of the big storylines surrounding the NFL and college football. And without further ado, let's welcome back Jake to the show. How you doing, Jake? Great to have you back. It's been a while. Decrom, I have missed your voice. It's uh, it's great to be on, as always. I hope you're doing well, my friend. Yeah, I missed your voice as well. I'm doing very well. Thank you very much, and I hope you are as well. And uh, without further ado, let's talk some football here. And the last time we had you on the podcast was to preview the 2017 Broncos season, and you um, uh, mentioned and you shared a concern with me that uh, this team could be headed uh, for a 5-11, and 6-10 campaign, and heck, uh, two years ago, before the Broncos won the Super Bowl in 2015, you wrote an article um, that illustrated your concerns that the Broncos would reach this point early on in the post-Pate Manning era. So to give us a brief summary, why are the Broncos here right now, uh, and uh, what do well, they have to well, do to get out of it? Well, yeah, thanks for, thanks for acknowledging all that. No, it's been, it's been definitely a process to watch that, that football team kind of be built up and when I wrote that article, like you mentioned, I wrote it in my early days writing about sports, period, when I was with uh, Mile High Huddle and, and Scout. Uh, and I wrote the article, and the title of the article was, I, I was just asking, does John Elway really know what he's doing? Because I looked at the Broncos' salary cap situation. They were At that time, it was before the 2015 season. I, I wrote that right after he, he'd hired uh, Gary Kubiak and fired John Fox. And I looked at the whole situation and the way the team was structured, And it raised a lot of alarm bells to me. He had spent a ton of money in free agency. And the majority of his starting defense that he was going to be bringing were free agents, uh, were were guys who hadn't been drafted by the organization. I mean, Brandon Marshall had been developed by the organization but hadn't been drafted by them. And so that raised some concern for me. And I started to look back on the history of how successful teams are who build through free agency and not through the draft. And the the, the answer is not very. And so the, the... the way I saw the Broncos at the time, and turn, it has turned out to be very accurate, is that Denver Bronco team starting in twenty, really starting in twenty twelve when Peyton Manning signed on, and then continuing throughout the Manning era. Excuse me, as Elway built the built the team, was really built for short term success. It was not built to win from now on, as John Elway so often likes to say. It was built for short term massive success with an aging veteran quarterback and he didn't know when the cliff was going to fall off on that quarterback and you'd have to move on. Turns out we found out when the cliff fell off. It found it, it, it Peyton Manning took that dive off a cliff late in 2014. And then that continued throughout the 2015 season. And he had to be carried by a defense that was built through free agency fundamentally and not through the draft. So the Broncos, you know, they, they have this issue, they build through free agency, but they, they win a Super Bowl. They win a Super Bowl the season after I write that article, and I look like a big dum-dum. But then as time continues, Peyton Manning retires. They, they do some different things. They, they do some things that I was very pleased with, starting in the 2016 draft. They take a quarterback with their first pick, a quarterback that I was and am still high on in terms of his physical ability. We, we've come to learn some things about who he is off the field and who he is in, in, in the classroom that, that may be concerning you, and in the film room that concern you. 
but his physical abilities can't be doubted. So I was concerned about that, but but they drafted Lynch and it worked out. And I liked their 2016 draft class a lot. And I, and I even liked a lot of their 2017 draft class. I was in the, the Broncos draft room for, for this most recent draft. And I, along with everybody else covering the team at the time, liked the picks. I, I liked the direction they were going. I thought, you know, I thought Garrett Bowles was, if you're going to take a tackle there, he wasn't my top tackle, but I understood the pick. I thought he was building in the right direction in these past two drafts. But the issue is, and the reason make a long story longer, uh, the reason that the Broncos are where they are today is fundamentally because John Elway built the team in the wrong way. He built the team to win for a short period of time by signing high-dollar free agents and inserting them as starters. Teams that have been successful throughout the history of the NFL draft and develop their talent. You cannot build a long-term winner with other people's players that you pick off up the off uh, pick up off the scrap heap, you can't do it. You can win for a short period of time if you're willing to spend a lot of money. We've seen that over and over again, but eventually you're going to hit a wall. And I think Denver has hit a wall. So right now you've got a team that doesn't have a quarterback, at least not one that they're willing to play. They don't have uh, a coaching staff that seems to be prepared for the challenges that have come about this season. And they have a defense that has a lot of talent, but is aging. And frankly, in these last couple of games, has looked largely poorly coordinated, first of all, and then checked out a little bit. I think you're, you're seeing players kind of check out on the season, and that's difficult. And that creates a problem for everybody in the locker room, everybody in the coaching staff, and everybody in the front office. John Elway has made terrible mis- miscalculations throughout the process in these last few years that have ultimately led to the situation that the Broncos find themselves in as a football team that is bad and, frankly, I don't think has a lot of hope to get much better because now what's starting to happen, and Derek Wolf's comments throughout these last couple of weeks have been interesting to read from, from afar out here in Arkansas. What's starting to happen now is that losing mentality is starting to seep into the into the organization. And once that gets in, we saw this in Josh McDaniels. I'm seeing it here in Arkansas with the Razorbacks, who are a bad college football team. Once you start to think of yourself as a loser, you can't get over that until significant changes are made or until something comes along that changes you into a winner. The Broncos desperately need that, and I don't think they're going to get it this season. So that's the the long rambling answer that kind of gets you to the point that I think that I think they're in trouble organizationally. I I completely agree. You nailed it exactly on the head, Jake. The problem was that John Elway um, horribly miscalculated. Like after uh, that amazing otherworldly um, anomaly of a 2015 championship season, I don't mean fluke. It's too disrespectful to call it fluke, but it was the exception, not the rule. Absolutely. The, the rule is it all comes down to the quarterback and it all comes down to your depth and how you draft and develop that depth. Elway kind of had was overly arrogant that they could keep winning the way they did in 2015. And he was uh, and some media pundits uh, for some reason agreed with him. But he and whoever believed him have been proven wrong. And to tell you the truth, though, I said it myself. I think the Broncos this year, it's better for them to be 5-11, and 11, if not worse, than 8-8, eight and eight, in my opinion. Because if Denver wins like four or five more games this year, it will be a waste, in my opinion. Because they have to 
look in the mirror now and hit that reset button and acknowledge you have to almost compl- almost fully rebuild, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Yes, it's going to be painful, but that's how you build a team in the NFL. You have to go through the aches and the pains and the long-term um uh, the long-term accumulation and the waxing and waning. That's how teams are built the old-fashioned way. The Broncos were built in an atypical way because Peyton Manning came along. And this will be John Elway's best and likely only chance to show that he has what it takes to be a football executive that uh, can build a team the old-fashioned way, the way it's supposed to be built. Absolutely. You're, you're, you're right on every point. I think the challenge for John Elway now is to accept some of the mistakes that he's made. I think, look, I think there's a lot of talent on that Bronco team. Don't get me wrong. I think there's a ton of talent on that defense, even though it's aging. Von Miller is what he is. Um, I think the offense has its share of challenges, but there's talent there. I think Demarius Thomas, look, the numbers have not been great in the Manning era for DT, and he certainly had moments of, of weakness and some difficulties but Demarius Thomas, in my opinion, if he has a quarterback who's competent, is a top five, top ten receiver in the National Football League, uh, an excellent football player. Emmanuel Sanders, a quality number two option who, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily want to spend a lot of time off the field with Emmanuel, but uh, he, he is a, he's a talented football player. So there are options for this team. The problem now is you have to worry about organizational concerns. Is there... That, that losing mentality that's going to start to seep in, and how does John Elway and how does Vance Joseph, a first-time head coach who probably didn't think this is what he was inheriting, he probably thought he was inheriting a much better football team than this. I don't think, he, I don't think he's prepared necessarily for the challenges that he's facing right now, and it's difficult because he doesn't have a lot of veteran coaches around him. Yes, there's Mike McCoy, yes, there's Bill Musgrave, but when you're the head man and when you're having to answer – I wonder if those veteran coaches in the room feel more like, you know, eyes peeking at you from behind your back, looking over your shoulder, than they do advisors and counselors. So I think there are a lot of challenges going on at Dove Valley right now. It'd be definitely an interesting place to uh, to, to be a fly on the wall at. It, it is, and but I do have uh, some uh, sense of hope that they will uh, realize that that Super Bowl window has closed and now it's time for a a uh, two to four year um, a rebuild project. Uh, and it's not going to be easy and it's not going to be fun at times, but I think it's the only way up from here for the Broncos. And uh, let's uh, switch topics here, Jake. Uh, in uh, some of our past conversations, you were absolutely adamant that, uh, yeah, Dak Prescott looks impressive, but I'm not completely sold on him. I'm not sure if he can be a long-term answer for Dallas. And uh, because keep in mind, he, as uh, gifted as he is athletically, he landed in the absolute perfect situation for a rookie quarterback last year. He had the best offensive line in football. You had a rookie running back who was uh, had comparisons to Marshall Falk. He was the league's leading rusher last year and one of the game's top wide receivers in Des Bryant and, uh, and some uh, pretty solid depth at wide receiver that you could uh, trust to catch the ball given the great protection you report from the offensive line. But um, you and a lot of other great analysts, uh, most notably Andy Benoit of Sports Illustrated, uh, one of the arguably one of the top film gurus in the football world, he said that uh, there is still more unanswered questions than Dak Prescott than we think because I want to see how he functions without some of these pieces around him. And last week it came crashing down. Uh, you saw Zeke Elliott obviously with his suspension and Tyron Smith with that injury. 
Prescott was just struggled mightily last week without those two. Uh, but he has looked impressive with both of them on the field uh, this season. And given those facts, where do you stand now on Dak Prescott? I stand exactly where I was when he came out of Mississippi State. I think he's a talented, talented athlete. I think he's a better pro quarterback than I pegged him to be. I didn't, I didn't think he was going to have the career that he's had even up to this point. But I still have enormous concerns, and I think you saw why last week. Look, Dak is, uh, he's not ever going to be Peyton Manning. He's not ever going to maybe even be Tony Romo. Um, he's, he's not that, that kind of a, of a quarterback, but there are things that he does better than, than those guys do. What, what he's always had the benefit of, and I think you hit the nail on the head, since he came to the Cowboys, he's had the benefit of being in a system that has been shaped around his skill sets. So unlike, you know, we talk about the Broncos, unlike what Denver has done with Paxton Lynch, the quarterback that the Cowboys initially wanted, I mean, imagine <laughs> what would have happened had they wound up with Paxton Lynch. We'd be talking about Paxton Lynch as maybe the, the, the player we think of, Dick, of Dak Prescott as. I, I genuinely believe that. Um, but that's not how things worked out. So they've built their system around Dak and his strengths. They use, you know, they use the zone read. They use the option. They keep him in the gun a lot. He, he's gone under center more and more. But he's doing things, you know, that that suit his skill sets. And like you mentioned, he's got not only a, an A wide receiver in Des Bryant, uh, an, an a, a future Hall of Fame tight end that he can throw to as a security blanket, the best offensive line in football, a head coach who is his advocate, who's played the position, who understands the intricacies of the position. He's also got a running back who, in my opinion, is going to be a Hall of Famer someday. That's the skill set that Ezekiel Elliott brings to a football field. And he, without those things, without everything being in place for him, I've yet to see him do things on a pro football field that make me you know, shake the thoughts that I had of him coming out of Mississippi State, where he was often inaccurate. He, he forced way too many throws. I had questions about whether he was going to be able to transition his game to the NFL, but he found a team that helped him along in that process. I have enormous questions about Dak and his future. I don't know where he winds up long-term, but, uh, but I, I, I think everybody saw it last week. I'll be really interested to, to watch more, more as the season goes on and get a better sense as the suspension goes on now with Ezekiel Elliott and get a sense of exactly who he is without that safety net in the backfield with him. Yes, and this Sunday night against the Eagles is going to be a, a huge test because if Adrian Claiborne went ape against uh, the Cowboys' offensive line without Tyron Smith, just imagine what uh, Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham, uh, Tim Jernigan, that deep Eagles defensive front four, man, it, it, is, it could be an even tougher test. Absolutely. It's, it's exactly right. Look, the Eagles, I think, are... The Eagles are a really good football team. They're they might be the best, and they're they're probably a team that I'd pick to to at least get to the second round of the postseason. You never know about young quarterbacks and kind of on the rise teams in their first postseason, but I think they're definitely a contender to be in that NFC title game. And I don't know if I can say the same about Dallas. I've just seen too many weaknesses from them this year. But uh, it'll be a fun it'll be a fun watch for sure. Yeah, it'll be a fun watch indeed, Jake. And another team that's been a fun watch this year has been the Minnesota Vikings, and in large part because it's amazing how Case Keenum is playing for them this year. You could almost say he's playing at a Pro Bowl, if not all Pro level, uh, this year. And that uh, uh, 
level of play that he's shown is uh, likely to get Pat Shermer a head coaching job next year, uh, in my opinion. Uh, but obviously, uh, this week was kind of uh, weird that they waited to announce Keenum as the starter for this week's game against the Rams on Wednesday because they were, according to Jay Glazer, they were like almost inclined to go with Teddy Bridgewater. But the way Keenum's playing, it's like, how could you keep him off the field uh, if he keeps playing this well? Uh, do you think the Vikings should keep starting Keenum as long as he continues to play uh, pretty much at the level he's been playing at this year? But on the flip on the flip side, though, um, do you think they need to go to Teddy Bridgewater at some point if they want to get to the Super Bowl, or do you think they can get there and potentially win with Keenum? Well, as long as you're winning, you 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 go to Case Keenum, but you give him an extraordinarily short leash. Uh, I, I don't think you can. I, I, look, I think if you if you have a long term franchise option playing for the Vikings right now, or or on that roster right now, excuse me, his name is not. Case Keenum, it is Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, the things that Bridgewater put together uh, and put on tape before that horrific knee injury that he suffered, and I was at Dove Valley that day when we got the news of it, and we kind of, I, I know some details about it that are pretty stunning, exactly uh, how bad it was. The kid almost lost his leg. Um, but the he, uh, he is, the things he put on tape, Especially the the latter half of that of that season really were impressive. Uh, were, were franchise quarterback kind of impressive. Now I think Keenum's played well. Uh, he, you're right; he's played at a, at a really high level. Um, but he's not. But he, I, I I don't I don't think it was what Teddy Bridgewater showed he was capable of. And if the Vikings as a coaching staff were with Bridgewater at that time, you're you're lucky because you're not looking at a at a different head coach. You're you're not. You're looking at a staff that largely knows or, or believes they know what he's capable of, and they're going to be inclined to go back to that if Keenum shows a sign of weakness, uh, even a hint of it. So I think he's on an extraordinarily long leash. They will go back to Bridgewater at some point. I think they should go back to Bridgewater at some point, but you don't. You can't right now, and I think that's fine. I think it gives Teddy a little bit more time to get adjusted to being back in that locker room setting, getting back to dressing that the, the things he hasn't done for, you know, since 20, uh, since, since that, that training camp injury, uh, two training camps ago now. And I think he absolutely uh, is the guy long-term in, in Minnesota and will be the guy uh, once he returns to the field. But for right now, continue to play Keenum, but you give him a short leash. Yeah, that's very reasonable, Jake, and obviously every diehard football fan has to be praying that Teddy Bridgewater finds his pre-injury self because uh, the potential he showed before that injury was just uh, amazing. Like, especially, I was actually at that game in Denver where the Vikings played the Broncos during the Broncos' uh, Super Bowl season in 2015. The, the toughness that Bridgewater showed in that game, it was like some of the toughest quarterback play I've, I've ever seen. He was like literally running for his life and getting his uh, keister being planted on the ground all day, yet he just hung in there and kept the Vikings in it to the last second. It was just amazing to watch. Yeah, absolutely. He, he, was, a, he was and hopefully will be once again a, a great player and a great, I think, ambassador for the National Football League as well. I think so many of these young quarterbacks, they, they have issues making that adjustment. But Teddy is, from all accounts, everyone I've talked to, just an outstanding young man, an outstanding human being, 
and somebody that I think the league needs to as a part of it uh, for a long, long time. Yes, and with a vacuum of, uh, uh, I, I should say, an empty vacuum of uh, role models uh, in our society right now, um, it would be great if Teddy Bridgewater could get back to that level of play. He would put a great face on the NFL as uh, we, uh, as a country and as a world, uh, um, row through these uh, turbulent uh, times. And he is Jake Marsing once again. You can follow him on Twitter at Jake D. Marsing. And before you go, let's talk some college football, Jake. Um, as of now, who do you think winds up, the, uh, who are the final four teams in the 2018 college football playoff, and who do you think wins the championship game over whom? Well, it's going to be Alabama. Um, it's going to be your national champion this year. They've faced some, some tests in the SEC. I like Mississippi State. I think that game was a lot closer than anybody expected it to be. I think there are a lot of challenges right now in the SEC, and Bama's kind of the king of a weak conference, a really, a really down year in the Southeastern Conference, but you look at the resume, the resume that they're beginning to stack up, and you look at everybody else's resume, I, I'm almost done, Decrom, predicting who else is going to be in the playoff, because it's every time I pick somebody to be in the playoff, they lose. <laughs> uh, I think uh, I, I, Notre Dame was somebody that I had listed. No, there were, there were, I mean, at the beginning of the year, I, I had F, FSU as a team that was going to be a hot team. They lost. Notre Dame's been up there for me. I, I think right now um, the U is a football team that I look at. Auburn is interesting to me uh, as a potential playoff team. If they're able to beat Alabama, uh, that could be interesting. I think the Pac-12 is going to be without a representative. I think there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of question marks right now about you know who, who your four is because everybody that you might say that you could look to uh, probably I mean ha- has at least one significant loss on their record one loss they shouldn't have I'd be curious to know who your four teams are though D who 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 are your four teams David Well definitely Alabama and. I would probably have Clemson again because they're the defending national champions. Yes, that loss at Syracuse is going to leave a mark, but keep in mind they lost at Pittsburgh to Nathan Peterman last year, and that didn't stop them from making the Final Four. So I think Clemson will probably be one of them. Auburn uh, uh, could be a silver bullet special. Like the way they annihilated Georgia last week, uh, like said something, and if they can, um, I'm not sure they're going to beat Alabama, but if they like just come up a couple points short, that could help them in their bid, um, hopefully. But uh, um, but Auburn is a potential candidate. Uh, I call this the Baker Mayfield bias. Uh, Baker Mayfield is currently my favorite quarterback in this upcoming draft class. I personally think he could be a Russell Wilson uh, type player in in due time, uh, and and the way he's playing this year. Uh, is is just amazing. I am. A, I have Oklahoma as one of the final four teams. But you're right, Jake. That that uh, it's very elusive this year. Like uh, it, it's like a uh, it, it's like if you have a door, there's like a lot of uh, different teams trying to get in, but they're just on top of one another, and each of them has a certain flaw that can make them uh, lose their leverage. So uh, it, it's pretty much up in the air. But if I had to pick three out of four, it would probably be Bama, Clemson, and Oklahoma. I think that's, I think that's a fair. Those are all fair predictions. I'm not as high on Mayfield as some others are. Uh, I worry about, I worry about some things that I hear about Mayfield. I mean, I'm here in Fayetteville, Arkansas. He has a uh, bit of a history here in Fayetteville. Uh, 
with some off-field things. There are a lot of concerns about him. I don't know how high I am on, on OU, but I think you're right. It's been challenging as somebody who really has been in the weeds with college football this year to to, to find an answer to that question throughout the year other than Alabama. I mean, I think at the beginning of the year, you were looking at Alabama, Florida State, Washington, um, and, you know, insert, you know, Team 4 here, and then it was USC for a little while, and that's fallen off. It's a really difficult year to, to uh, for, for me to pick, and it's going to be interesting to see how these last couple weeks of the college football season play out, and I do not envy – uh, Jeff Long and the and the members of the other members of that committee who were making that that decision. Jeff Long, Frank Beamer, uh, oh, the other college football greats who were part of that decision. I don't envy them either. It is going to be probably the toughest decision they've had in the history of this uh, college football playoff. And thank you once again, Jake, for joining us. We hope to have you on in the near future very very soon. It's always a pleasure having you. Hey, I am more than happy to do it, Decrom. You were great, very accommodating. You're a great show. You guys doing. Great work. Keep it up. I hope people listen. I hope they find you and uh, and you're able to keep doing what you do. Great stuff. Thank you for the kind, kind words, Jake, and happy Thanksgiving. Absolutely. Same to you and yours. You're very welcome. And that's all for today here on Sports Crunch with Deke Rom. And be sure to check out the episode archive as well as an up-to-date blog of mine at sportscrunch.com. And remember, that is K-R-U-N-C-H. For Jake Marsing, I, producer Chris Broadhead, I'm David Cromwell saying so long and, of course, stay awesome. 